Good morning. Uh, For scripture reading this morning, uh, we're going to read from Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. Um, This is a set of verses that uh, growing up, our parents would always have have us read um, Christmas morning, the traditional Christmas story. So Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. December 31, 2023. And if you've seen some of the postings, this is the date 123123. 12, 31, 23. Uh, the end of a year. Uh, and a time to reflect on what we've heard, what we've seen, what we've experienced throughout the past year. And that's exactly what Mary did, what's referred to as Mary in verse 19 of what I just read. She treasured up all those things in her heart. Treasured up the things that she had gone through. And just a, a quick review, that, that would be the visit from the angel nine months prior, announcing the glory of the child that she was going to have soon. It would also include the time that she spent with uh, her cousin Elizabeth, who was also going to have a baby. That had been announced by an angel. The long trip with Joseph to Bethlehem. The time spent in Bethlehem awaiting the birth of baby Jesus. And she pondered, she reflected. And, and that's what the close of a year does for, for many of us. We, we look, we reflect back, we reponder. 
But December 31 also causes us to look forward. The beginning of a new year, starting midnight tonight. Resolutions to be made, new connections that are available to be made, new commitments, maybe some recommitments that are made. And I believe that that's also part of what Mary was pondering, looking forward. What would this new baby mean for her life and, and for Joseph's? And, and every new mother and father does that. You look back, but you're looking for what does this mean for us? What will the next months, what will the next years hold? And, and I, I know she was smart. She was well-learned. She knew what the prophecies had been leading up to that. And I think she had in mind that, you know, what does this Messiah mean for the world? But she, met, she treasured, she pondered, and she kept things in her heart. She was calm. She appears you know, in the scripture, thoughtful, maybe a bit reserved. And that's good. We are called to be reflective, to be quiet, to hear God's voice. But we're also called to live boldly for Christ. We're called to live loudly with, with vigor. We're called to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, his truth, his mercy, his love to this world. That, that's what the Great Commission is. Uh, Matthew 28, verses 19 and the first part of 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And in 2 Corinthians 3.12, right, Paul writes this, and that this will be based upon the previous verses where there was a promise of salvation through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul writes. He said, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. So in, in planning the, the Advent sermon series this year and in, in doing some work and prepping, one thing that struck me with this Luke to passage was the shepherds. What did they hear? What did they see? What did they experience out on the hillside? And then what did they do? What, what was their response? And, and as I read and read Luke 2, there was something that I, I noticed in comparison with what Jesus had told the disciples in Matthew 28. You know, in Matthew 28, he said, go and make disciples. But there's something missing in what the angels told the shepherds. So let me read this again. Verses 8 through 15. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Today, there's a Savior born. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, the sky was filled with angels singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then the angels left. And the shepherds were there. Nowhere in there did the shepherds get a command to go and tell anybody. The sky was filled. They saw a great light. They heard a message of glory and peace. 
But the shepherds were never told, here's what you need to do with this information. So I've got two quick questions, and I'm going to have you stand up and take a couple minutes to talk real quick with somebody around you. I'm going to give you about 20 seconds before I give you this green light to stand up and talk very quickly. And, and so here's my question. When you are given good news, whether it's similar to what the shepherds heard or what, whatever good news you can think of, whether it's a news report you see, a phone call that comes in, a text that comes in, an email, however you receive that information. Who is it that you are ready to tell that good news to? And then the second question, why would you select them to be the ones that you would tell? So those are the two questions. So I'll give you about 15, 20 seconds. Who would you tell and why would you tell them? So I'm going to give you about two minutes. Just stand up. So that means about one minute for each person. Who would you tell and why? Go ahead and stand up and take some time to answer those questions. Okay. So, so as you discuss and you answer that, my interest really lies in the second of those two questions. Not necessarily who, but why. And, and, and go ahead and if you've got a short comment or phrase, why did you select whoever you selected? Why did you select them to tell? So they could share in the joy that I feel. Other thoughts? Because they're important to to me, to, to you. Those individuals were important to you and it was important for them to hear what you had to share. I would not want to keep it to myself. Okay, would not want to keep it to myself. If somebody's praying for you, you want to tell them the good news of what has happened and, and the result of those prayers. Yeah. I mean, I had written down a couple of answers for myself, and the two things I wrote down was sharing in the excitement with somebody who has a common thought or process, or I care for them. I mean, I, there's a reason, there's a connection for us to share. And some of that may be a new connection. There may be a new believer that maybe doesn't know the story. And that new connection. But we've got reasons for why there's an important story to tell. So let me, let me continue through verse 15. And I just remind us what the shepherds did. So I said, the angels left them. And they were going into heaven. And the shepherds said to one another, Hey, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. They were excited. So they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby. And they found things as they were told. And then the last verse, verse 20. 
the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had told. And people were amazed at what, the, what they were hearing, what the shepherds were saying and sharing. People were amazed. It's an incredible story. So three things just to specify what the shepherds did. First of all, they did discuss together what they wanted to do. Let us go and see this thing that's happened. The second thing that they did is they stopped their current duties. They changed their current agenda. And they hurried off and they found what they were looking for, the baby in the manger. And the third thing they did, they shared the news. They spread the gospel. And they did that all without being told what to do. Because they were excited. There was a story to be shared So two questions as as I go further with this to address today. First of all, who were these shepherds that responded so quickly and so decisively? And the second question, how are we then called to respond to the good news that we've been given today? So question number one, who were these shepherds? And and a quick and simple answer for that, and you know, it's a sermon, so I'm not going to just be quick and short with this answer, but... Who were the shepherds? Well, they were not necessarily outcasts, as some sometimes consider, but they weren't necessarily anyone special either. In those days, shepherds were not rich. They were not greatly educated. They would be out in the wilderness keeping their sheep for many days in a row, and therefore cleanliness, bathing, was probably not high on the priority list. So they may have been a bit smelly and and rough. But shepherding in those days was not a low thing. I mean, think about the shepherds in the Bible. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Jesus is referred to as the good shepherd. Shepherds are not outcasts. The, The characteristics of protection, care, and nurturing are synonymous with that term Shepherd and shepherding. Leaders in the Old Testament were compared to and encouraged to be shepherds for their flock. New Testament, same thing. Pastors are to be shepherds for the flock. A blog note on the website, Steps of Faith, described the shepherds in Luke 2 with this phrasing. They said, yes, they may have been stinky and perhaps a bit disheveled. But they were not poor country bumpkin farmers scratching out a living as we've always been told. They were actually higher up on the social ladder than that. Shepherds had an important duty, taking care of the sheep. But these shepherds in Luke 2 had actually an elevated duty than just normal shepherding. The Mishnah is an authoritative collection. It's a book of recorded oral traditions of Jewish law during the time of the Pharisees. And one of the regulations written in the Mishnah basically says this. There's a forbidding of keeping flocks throughout the land of Israel, except in the wilderness. So flocks, sheep are supposed to be in the wilderness, unless the flocks would be those that would be used for temple services. Those flocks do not need to be out in the wilderness. And so with these sheep and shepherds being in proximity to Bethlehem, I mean, the the shepherds had a 
relatively short walk to Bethlehem to see the Mary and Joseph and the baby, they would have likely been sheep that would have been being kept pure for sacrificial ceremonies in the temple. So these shepherds would have either been somehow connected to priests or some level of priest themselves, um, likely not teachers in the synagogues, in the temple, but they would have definitely grown up knowing very clearly what prophecies would have been there from Scripture. They would have known. But they would have been out with the sheep, not teaching in the temple, not carrying out the sacrificial ceremonies. So, so their normal responsibilities day and night would be tending the sheep and participating in normal services, normal activities, along with everybody else in the temple. But they'd be serving in a way for those who come to the temple to pray, to offer sacrifices, to fellowship, they would be serving in a way to allow others to worship God and to praise God. They had a ministry to fulfill their duties and allow others to worship effectively, along with themselves, but allowing others to worship effectively and in community. So I had to think of how that equates to us today. You know, you see people up on the podium, you see preachers, you see pastors, we, we preach, we, we teach. Okay, that, that's not the only ministry that our congregation has. I think of our ushers, Sunday school teachers, sound technicians, the decor group, facilities director, trustees, our mowing crew, nursery workers, hospitality group, praise teams, our youth sponsors. Everyone has a ministry. Everyone has a calling, some way to be involved, some way to impact his kingdom within our congregation and beyond. And that's what the shepherds were doing, fulfilling their ministry, tending their sheep. And then they heard some good news. And how did they respond to that glad tidings? They paused their duties. Whatever those duties might be that we feel we have through the day, through the week, if there's good news that comes, if there's something that is to be told to somebody, the shepherds paused their duties. They deviated from their agenda for that evening. They broke their normal schedule to respond to something that God had placed in their paths, and they responded. They recognized, they found, they went in search of the manger, and that manger was the why they were out in the fields tending the sheep in the first place. That's why they were there. So we, we can get so busy with our activities, and, and our activities and our duties are important to be able to allow others to worship, to, to worship, to, to spread the good news. But sometimes we can forget about why we're doing some of those things in the first place. But the shepherds, broke from their agenda because they saw this is something big and this is why we're doing what we do. And I'll come back to that question of why a little bit later. But my question number two, how are we called to respond to the good news? 
And my answer is in the title of my sermon today, Red Line Living. Raise your hand if you have ever redlined your engine in your car, truck, or motorcycle. There's a few, okay? In your dashboard, there is a tachometer, and that shows the RPMs, revolutions per minute. And the upper part of that dial has numbers that are red. You do not want to have your engine going up there very frequently, okay? Now, I'm not a mechanic, so I did some checking with a couple of individuals just to verify that this would be a a good explanation of what redlining means. Description of redlining an engine would be something like this. The red line refers to the maximum engine, engine speed that an internal combustion engine is designed to operate without causing damage to internal components. The red line of an engine depends on various factors, such as the mass of the engine parts, composition of the parts, and their interrelated balance. You do not run your engine deep into the red. Components may break. Now, different engines will have different red line levels. Some may be higher than others. But to hit an engine's red line, you need to place your foot on the accelerator and you need to go to the floor. That's how you get to the red line and beyond. And what that means for me and what I see, that, that's a full commitment. Uh, Christian group, uh, music group Skillet released a song in 2016 called Back from the Dead. And it's about reviving life, fully committed to God. And, and part of the lyrics in that song, and, and here's where I got the idea for the, for the title, says, to the floor, to the floor, hit the red line. Never break, never bow, never beg, not a doubt. Full of love, full of light, full of fight. All in the name of glorifying our Heavenly Father. Fully committed. Now, part of what I would also say, hitting the red line is not a matter of going reckless and being out of control. Now, if you're in your car and you go to hit the red line, your speed might be up to that level. No. By hitting a red line, you're fully committed. So I I wrote four parts of kind of my definition of red line living for a Christian. Doing everything we can to connect people with God and godly living. Being present and active in our fellowship and our witness together. Not burning oneself out, but relying on God's wisdom and power to direct and lead in that full commitment. But it is full commitment. That's redline living. I coached for quite a few years. That's what I ask of my players. When you step out on the court, when you step out on the field, are you going to give it your all? Are you going to play with 100% focus, 100% effort? You know, that phrase, all in, is common in sports. So if, if we do that for our sports teams, for our athletes, God's not any different. He's asking for a full commitment. Matthew 16, 24 says this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Nowhere in the Bible is the gospel or the agenda of Doug given any kind of credence or priority. Nowhere. Deny yourself. Submit yourself. Seek first his kingdom. The shepherds set aside their agenda of tending the flock, which was a pretty important part of temple life. But they set aside their agenda and they went and sought the baby in the manger. They weren't teachers in the temple. But then they spoke and they shared what they saw, what they heard, what they experienced. What God had told them, what God had showed them, what God had given them as experiences. They shared. That's red line living, setting aside my agenda and then being willing to share. And doesn't mean preaching, but sharing one-on-one. Mother Teresa has a quote. It says, God does not require that we be successful, only that we be faithful. So I fully believe that if God gives us a task, God puts something in our path, he will supply the wisdom, he will supply the sufficient skills in that moment, regardless of how skilled you may feel, He'll supply the words to share or the willingness to just listen and sit quietly. He'll supply the energy to carry out whatever that task is going to be. And I don't think it matters when he calls because sometimes God calls at times that aren't necessarily convenient for my agenda. And it doesn't matter how he calls. It may be loud, it might be real quiet, it might be a hint, but are we listening and where are we looking for those opportunities to be called? Will our hearts be like Mary? When she was told that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, and I mean, my goodness, what a daunting task that was going to be for the birth, but then for years to come. She answered the angel in Luke 1.38 with these words. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She's saying, God, use me. I'm willing. And I don't use the word able because I, I don't think that there's all those times that we say, God, I'm willing and able. Sometimes we don't feel able Are you willing? I think that's red line living. So what part of 100% are we holding back? Why do we hold back? We need to commit to the fellowship of believers. We need to commit to God's will. Committing our time, committing our energy to an agenda that is not mine. And so, yeah, one last question. I said there was two questions, but then this question of why. Why did the shepherds feel the urge to go and see? Why did they feel they needed to? And why did they freely spread the word? And why are we called 
to redline living? And I think the answer to that is because the good news that the angels gave the shepherd many years ago was an awesome, incredible story. And that's the same story that's here for us today. And it needs to be shared. H.G. Wells is credited with this quote. He said, I am a historian. I am not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in history. Okay, that's from a historical standpoint, not a faith standpoint. So if that powerful recognition is coming from a non-Christian, what's the Christian perspective? S.M. Lockridge was a pastor and a preacher at Calvary Baptist Church in in San Diego. And in a sermon that was titled, That's My King, Do You Know Him? He said these things about Jesus. He's the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He's awesome. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. And so here's what I would add to Lockridge's comments. He has promised to walk with me through all experience I have in life. He's my savior and my redeemer. He's my Lord of lords, my king of kings. He's my sustainer and my healer. He's the rock on which I stand. He is my hope for eternity. And I want to read 2 Corinthians 3.12 again. So these would be Paul's words. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Be bold and live committed to redline living. It's not reckless, it's not careless, but it is focused and it is dedicated and it is committed. So just some final thoughts. Let us take time to be in tune with God's will so that we know what to do when those good news opportunities and interactions come available like they did for the shepherds. We don't have to be told what to do. We already know what we're called to do. Let us be active in fellowship with one another so that together, supporting one another, encouraging, admonishing one another, we do his will. I I put together just a list, small groups, Sunday school classes, Wednesday evening classes, all church activities, senior activities, young adult activities, youth activities, children activities, Be active and alive. That is encouraging and building the body of Christ. And let us spread the good news in word and deed, inviting others to be part of that setting. And not just surfacey, inviting them in and say, hey, if if they're here one time, that's good, the, the job is done. No. It's about relationships, being present in the middle of those.
And I would remind us again, the shepherds were not specially trained individuals. No more specially trained than we are. But people who heard their story and heard them relate what they had experienced were amazed at the wondrous story of God coming down to earth. So we're no more special, no less special than the shepherds, but we're called to that same task. Fully committed, ready and willing to change our agenda for his to interact, whether it's with a fellow believer or a non-believer. Make an adjustment to our agenda to interact with love, mercy, and grace. To share the story of Jesus Christ coming to earth. We need to be fully committed to him. I invite Truman forward as we sing, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. I appreciate the, uh, one of the songs that Truman selected earlier. He keeps me singing. And I want to read the third verse of that. It said, feasting on the riches of his grace, resting neath his sheltering wing, the grace of God, the protection of God. Always looking on his smiling face, that is why I shout and sing. Our, our story and what we do, why we do what we do, is because of that grace, that love of Christ that he gave us. And, and I think the most challenging part of what we just sang with Take My Life is in verse five. Take my will and make it thine. And for me, I would say, take my agenda and make it thine. And there's numerous times over the last couple of weeks where God's changed the agenda on me. And those are times when you say, God, what are you doing? And are we like Mary to say, I'm your servant? May we be committed to his will and his agenda. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the grace and mercy that you have given us. I thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. These many years ago that we celebrate with on Christmas Day, that gift, that wondrous gift, you coming down to relate to us personally here on earth. But Lord, I thank you for the rest of that story as well. Lord, move within our hearts, move within our lives. May we recognize opportunities where we can have interactions that may be scary, may be new. But Lord, you provide the power and strength and the wisdom within those interactions. Lord, as you interact and love us, may we interact and love others and spread your gospel, your story, to those around us each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.
morning to those listening and joining us online. We want to thank you for joining us today and welcome you back to join our worship service at Yellow Creek Mennonite Church any future days, any future weeks. We hope that God is and continues to be a strong, encouraging presence in your life each and every day. And if, if there are questions, if there are prayer concerns, or you desire to talk with a pastor, we encourage you to contact the church office at 574-862-2595 or, meal, or email us at info at yellowcreekmc.org. We also encourage you to visit our website at yellowcreekmc.org and stay updated with events that would be shared on our Facebook page at Yellow Creek Mennonite Church. If you are in the Goshen or Elkhart area of northern Indiana, we invite you to join us in person at 64901 County Road 11. We're the, the brick church building at the northwest corner of County Road 11 and County Road 38 in Elkhart County. Our Sunday morning worship begins at 9, 9 a.m. Sunday school classes meet for fellowship, for study, for discussion following the service at 10.30. Wednesday evening classes and activities for all ages are available throughout the year, uh, giving different opportunities for growing and a priority for nurturing the biblical faith of our children, our youth, and our adults. May God bless you today and this week. Our prayer is that you feel God's love and his presence in your life as he walks with you and encourages you day by day. Blessings to you. Have a merry Christmas season and a happy new year. Blessings.